Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brick Educator Podcast. I'm joined today by a good friend of mine from university, Dave Perry. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, yeah. Yeah, it's lovely to be on here. This is a really nice experience. It's nice to get back in touch, mate. It's been it's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, it has. It's been what six? So obviously six years at Legoland. <laughs> don't, and coming, don't remind so, yeah. me. I am. <laughs> seven, seven, seven years is when we last saw each other properly. Yeah, it was seven long years ago. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on today. Um, obviously, quick introductions. So me and Dave actually went to the university of Hull Scarborough Campus, which was his official title. Um, we both studied in the theatre and performance course. So when, when I say studied, I mean, we kind of flounced around on stage a little bit and and learned about lighting and sound equipment. So mm. interesting course, no longer a thing. Uh, the campus closed down a couple of years ago. And um, so our legacy died with the campus, unfortunately. But we're now both doing quite interesting things. Obviously, I'm working with Lego on a training basis with teachers. And Dave is actually a live interpreter at the Royal Armoury. So Dave, can you just tell me a little bit more about what that actually is and what you do? Yeah, so I work at the Royal Armouries Museum. Um, we are part of actually three sites so you've got your Leeds site which deals with small arms and armor so anything you can carry into battle you've got your fort nelson which is all to do with artillery and uh, vehicles and then you actually got the not the uh, tower of london as an entire uh, sort of area you also got the white tower in the center that's also mm-hmm. alarmaries as well now i'm based in leeds um and as a live interpreter um, I am mainly nowadays uh, to do with the live performance uh, shows and things that are going on at the museum. So I will uh, basically write, research um, and develop um, usually solo active pieces, so usually monologue pieces around stories from soldiery um, or to do with campaigns as a whole. Um, and also I will be uh, choreographing and researching historical fighting techniques so that we can it's a bit cheesy, but we always say we bring history to life. That's the point. Like when you yeah. come to the museum, you can see it all in the cabinets and the items are fascinating. Um, but sometimes it, it gets a bit dull or maybe you don't know how something works. Or, uh, But that's what we do. We basically bring out those cabinets and we show you how did they use that sword? How does mm-hmm. it go on the body? Like um, what is the practical sort of side of it? But also, and, and this is a really important part of our remit as well, is that when the museum was sort of created, they, they knew that actually, you know, this could be seen as a sort of war glorification and and things like that so our job as well again is as performers to bring you the honest truth like the honest mm-hmm. story of soldiers um and and use of uh, actual historical accounts to sort of bring you those stories so you realize that yeah swords and armor it's all cool guns are wicked but there are real lives uh, to do with these items yeah there are real stories and and there are problems uh, that have happened in history um and it's an important like lesson to learn i think for everyone it's uh mm-hmm. it's, yeah, so that's kind of what we do. We kind of bring context to the uh, what can be quite a sort of uh, intimidating sort of collection, which is like you know sword guns, armors, that sort of stuff. So yeah. that's, that's what we do. Uh, I was also part of less so now because we've had a divide in the team, but I was also used to be part of the more formal education uh, program at the museum, which is where we have schools uh, come in, bring their classrooms in, um, and we cover certain topics um, that are within their curriculum. Um, and that's not just strictly history as well, because I can't remember what they call it, but there's like a uh, the sciences, like all the sciences. Yeah. We uh, also sort of plug mm-hmm. into that and using uh, historical um, sort of examples of these mm-hmm. forces in motion or chemical reactions or, or whatever it is. We're kind of like uh, using that, uh, the history to educate people on that as well, as well as English, as well as drama, 
um, mm-hmm. with both workshops to try and cover everything um, under our sort of wonderful little museum banner. Wow. Yeah. So I said that included things like catapults, trebuchets, trajectory of like yeah. arrow, all that sort of balls, all those things. All yeah. the sort of gunpowder, how that all works. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a really important sort of part of our formal education program. Um, and also, uh, actually, I, I got to develop my own um, lesson plan um, and my own sort of workshop around uh, English storytelling, drama, that sort of stuff. So that was a really interesting um, experience for me. So it's really interesting the fact that you mentioned the uh, kind of that barrier and that fine line between weapons are really interesting and be quite cool and in media they're quite glorified to be these really cool things like lightsabers laser cannons they're kind of because they're fantasy you kind of forget that they are actually killing people and so when you come to the armies like you said it's your job to really make sure that yes they are really interesting but they are still weapons have have you found difficulties with that especially with children like especially i know you mentioned you do like the hands-on sessions in the more formal style workshops have you got any sort of like behind the scenes or any stories that you kind of come across problems with that that theory of what a weapon actually could be yeah so it's not really like a behind the scenes kind of thing but what we often have is um so when it comes to like weapons handling so that's one of the things we offer is that we will not only can you look at the items but we'll we'll bring some genuine artifacts out and put them on a table and you can pick them up and you mm-hmm. can do all the stuff. Um, but we obviously, you've got to be safe. You'll be very, very safe with these items. And they, this is where the disparity and the misunderstanding comes in with uh, sort of more casual audiences and certainly children, you know, mm-hmm. like they'll come in and they'll pick up a revolver and they'll be like, oh, isn't this called the six shooter, which I think is a reference to Fortnite. I don't know, but basically they will come in and they will know every gun and they're all the names because of all the video games they play. And they mm-hmm. see them as almost like video game items. They don't really quite yeah. understand that these were used to genuinely take a life. Like they're interested mm-hmm. in the more mechanical side of it, like the rate of fire, the accuracy, the weight, all this sort of stuff. And that's how we actually present most of the items we, within the cabinets is that we're not going to be telling you too much about the actual sort of like personal history of the item. It's more about yeah. the spec. And we how really, it works yeah. yeah we really concentrate on the developments and the the changes over history and why uh, an increase of fire is important or why they decided to create it like that or how they manufactured it and we look at them very cat like sort of yeah very sort of uh straightforward manufacturing sort of processes like these are the facts this is what you got um but when it comes to like misinterpretation one of my favorite uh things uh, funny stories actually that came from a handling session was uh, we had a group of kids in, and they're all sort of picking stuff up. It was World War One, and um, so we got rare, like bayonets and rifles and pistols. Mm-hmm. And you tell them, like, you know, obviously, you know, don't point a gun at anyone. Yes, they're deactivated. You got to treat them like they're real. Don't swing them around. Don't unlock them. Don't try and take them apart. All this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I remember, I, I, I was swamped by children. I was jumping left and right, like put that down. Like, <laughs> Knows that sort of stuff. And I turned around and this girl was looking at me and she was like, sir, is that meant to do this? And she was holding a grenade in her hand and she pulled oh. a pin out. Oh, no. <laughs> pin out. Now, obviously, there's no explosive it's, in that grenade. It's been deactivated, of yeah. Of course, yeah. And I know that because of the stickers that I put on the base of it and all this sort of stuff. And I wish, I wish I had the wit to just shout, get down, and everyone dropped. <laughs> I thought it taught her left. But. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, obviously, I was like, 
because I've shown them how the grenade works. And I was like, that's how yeah. you set the grenade off. Like, and I tried to yeah. explain to her, like, that was really stupid. That was really uh, silly. Uh, but people have a bit of a, like a disassociation with it. Like, you yeah. see on the table, they see it on the TV, and it's just an item to them. They don't quite understand that these it's are... It's a little... replica. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was a genuine grenade. It's just had the pin and, and grenade and the explosive taken out of it. Like, it's crazy. Absolutely mad. Um, but yeah, oh, that, that's where you get this disparity and this... this... And that's why my job's important, because I need to remind children and, and people growing up who don't necessarily have memories of, of big wars um, mm. that, you know, these these things are nasty. Um, and, and there's a fine line with that as well, because obviously with a lot of the shows we do, there I am sort of portraying a soldier. And there are really grim moments in fights and in mm -hmm. battle. And you have to let them know that without necessarily making it too adult because we we cater to family audiences mainly um so you can't necessarily share all the details but you've got to make sure that you don't sugarcoat them either as a because if you pretend it didn't happen then is that disrespectful to the actual event and the soldiers that were there um and and uh, i tend what i tend to do is tend to just sort of juxtapose things so i tend to have a very light moment and then just really yeah. sort of drop it straight down to a really serious moment that tends to catch them off guard um, and cause them to sort of like stop and think about what they're watching. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where you've got to, you've got to balance it. I really wanted to do a piece on um, a Polish lad who actually broke into Auschwitz to basically expose what's going on there. Um, mm -hmm. And it basically never saw the light of day because I just, I couldn't do a family friendly version of the Holocaust, essentially. It, yeah, was, it, it, it was too so dark true. for the audiences that we got. But yeah. it's, it's always finding those moments in a piece where you kind of just like sober people up a little bit. It's meant to be entertaining. It's meant to be a bit of fun. But you need to remind them that these these are uh, real weapons it, that did real, real yeah. consequences with these items. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. And yeah, so it's a difficult one. And it must be really tricky not to glorify the war as well, because he's so passionate about what you do. You don't want to be kind of go in and be like, super pumped and super excited, excited about weapons and death and war because mm -hmm. it almost gives the wrong impression to your audience that you like it and obviously you do like it, you're passionate about it but it's the actual the history and the learning that you're passionate about and sharing that story what you actually teach do you have like a favorite era of time that you're most interested in teaching and kind of reenacting for people yeah so it used to be uh, medieval that used mm -hmm. to be my favorite period to teach um but as i've learned more about other points of history and and other cultures and all this sort of stuff it i, I just love learning new stuff now so I, I if i ever approach something it's always like do i know anything about it if i don't let's crack on with that because that's gonna be something really interesting and something different um but that you know uh it's the difficulties the easier ones to do and certainly the ones you can kind of do quite quickly and not have to think or worry too much about is usually the the further back in history it is the easier it is to do because mm -hmm. like for instance battle of agincourt uh it's happened in uh, 1415 yeah and england um a grim affair all around nasty mm -hmm. but it was hundreds hundreds of years ago and it's an archer and it's a bit medieval there's some knights running around you can make a lot of fun with that and you can take a few you can take a few more chances with it and have a few more jokes and stuff like that. And it can be a much yeah. lighter 
a more lighthearted piece because when people think about arrows hitting people and like heads getting chopped off, it's all sort of you know it's kind of like kids funny sort of stuff. Like, yeah, it's I've quite talked, Lord of the Rings and yeah, quite Rings and Skyrim video games, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's so far away, it's quite disconnected. Yeah, exactly. It's not real anymore, and you don't have to yeah. worry about it. You don't have to like so that that they are more easy topics. But then when you deal with more modern topics such as World War Two and um, World War One there's obviously a level of sensitivity that you need to approach it with and a level of realism because not only might you be talking about your your an audience members like granddad or something like that you know yeah, you, their their experiences of warfare are much closer to the, the people who currently experience warfare um you know and you've got to be really just careful and respectful and mm. and understand that sort of side of things um because you don't know who's in your audience you don't know who you're going to be dealing with so yeah so I'd, I'd say like the easier stuff and stuff i totally enjoy more is probably more medieval stuff partly mm-hmm. because that's what we do a lot of the combats around as well but my favorite time period is probably and this is down to the sort of combat styles is probably mm-hmm. we're looking late 1700s early 1800s we're talking like rapier not rapiers epes and sabers yeah. and that yeah. sort of stuff where plus the uniforms are really really nice so you look mm-hmm. dollars in that in that in that stuff yeah. so uh, yeah, that's probably my favourite time period that I get to cover. Not the easiest because it's part of our colonial past and one of the more controversial. But again, it's one of those topics that it's worth tackling and putting the effort into because it's it's so important. It's so important, especially with today's world and everything going on. It's so important to not pretend it didn't happen. Um, yeah. So it's 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 yeah, it's one of those. I did a course actually um, over lockdown on the controversies of empire just off my own back because I was like, this is super relevant to my job. Like mm-hmm. I'm contextualized the collection, which you know it, it has a lot of sort of connections with that. So it's it's yeah, it's, in, it's a big part of it. I was gonna say it, it's super fascinating the fact that you get to do so many different times as well. Like you get to go, as you said, the 1800s, go medieval. You get then get to go to war. Do you do any modern like reenactments, such, such things like Afghanistan and Iraq or anything like that, or does the army's not really cover we that? Have historically done interpretations on more modern conflicts. Um, but because of our collection um, not coming up to that period yet, yeah. uh, in our collection, the most modern stuff we have on display at the moment is World War Two, mm-hmm. uh, and anything beyond that, we don't have any examples of. Now we do do some talks on the development of firearms and do go yeah. up, like through the uh, SLR all the way up to the SA80 and the modern firearms that we use in the British Army at the moment. But we don't do any interpretive pieces because what we have to do, bar from certain events, when we have our own themes surrounding an event, we have to make sure that whatever we're creating is uh, can be basically like in reference, go and see this in this cabinet, go and see that in that cabinet. So no, we, do, we don't do anything currently uh, on yeah. more conflicts. So you mentioned previously that you had the you've got the formal learning in the armories and you've got the more informal, the more uh, educational side. So during my time at Legoland, we had a phrase which was edutainment. So it's that blend of it's educational, but it's fun, it's interactive, it's entertaining. Now, obviously, both sides of learning, formal and informal, have their their pros and they have their cons. During your time at the armories, um, did you find that one was particularly more uh, beneficial than the other, or did one have more problems that came with it? What's your sort of experience? Yeah, so I think with pros and cons of both, I suppose. So the more formal side of the learning, I mean, it's hard, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of break down because the 
formal learnings when we have booked schools in and they're following a strict like a curriculum and, and uh, learning outcomes and things like that our informal learning is when it's a bit more passive where it's just audience members coming into the museum and experiencing sort of the live interpretations and the combats um, and walking away with with learning something and actually mm -hmm. Day, we do combine a little bit of the two so the schools will typically come in and do their formal learning process um but during halfway during their experience they will come and watch one of our live combat demonstrations as well um as a bit of a sort of like woo, exciting um yeah. <laughs> uh, but also secret learning sneaky learning um, sneaky learning yes <laughs> i call it like when when people come in and watch my shows they'll be like Oh, that was amazing. That guy had a had a Thompson submachine gun. It took like twenty rounds of forty five ACP. Hang on a minute. I've Hang on, I know something now. <laughs> a cool story, and now I know too much about this gun. <laughs> and I'd say so. The pros of informal learning is that you are going to be engaging people in a more uh, accessible way, and 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 like I said, sneaky way in a sense, because you are able to kind of. Uh, People watch films and, and TV shows as part of their life, and when they come watch a show, it's kind of like engaging in, in that sort of sense, and they, they they don't necessarily know that they're being taught things, and that can be a really sort of uh, positive way of getting through to certain people who might have a negative experience with education. Mm -hmm. um, taking them outside that um, environment, that, that classroom environment, suddenly changes their mindset completely and they become more open to stuff. When they're allowed to sort of pick and choose what they're interested in and, and listening mm -hmm. to, they can kind of engage in in certain areas even and not have to sit through areas that they don't they don't enjoy um which switches them off and whatnot um also you can and you can get this informal education as well but you can engage in different ways so you can not only are you going to be looking at you know someone talking to you so you've got that lovely sort of audio learning visual learning but we do a lot of handling sessions uh, out in the gallery so that's kinetic learning getting your hands on things you know i feel like smell touch these senses are really really important to remembering something and, and remembering mm -hmm. an experience um so if i can sort of just feed them with facts whilst they remember holding that gun they'll remember everything they need to know about that weapon um yeah. and that's really interesting um so those are the pros um and uh, our formal learning has a lot of that baked into it as well so a lot of the experience in our formal learning program is interactive it's immersive um, it's character driven it's getting the kids up and doing stuff rather than just sitting there and listening to stuff um and i guess the only con i think personally of that sort of style is oh my god the energy levels required to keep that thing <laughs> going if you drop it for a second if you give them a single moment to sort of go and i'm out you lose yeah. them you've got to keep driving them to like stop them from thinking like remembering where they are and that they're learning um so there's a lot of it, like energy involved with that, and uh, and not everyone's cut out for that as well. I think it requires a much more uh, specific uh, skill set to be able to achieve that kind of learning. It's not easy to do. Um, it's not easy to do. I mean, no teaching is easy to do. Ask any teacher. But um, that kind of teaching is very very difficult to to be able to keep those energy levels up for eight, you know nearly eight hours a day. It's 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 mm. a tough one. Um, uh, yeah, another con is sometimes, you know, you can get a bit carried away and you can maybe lose track of where you're meant to be going with that particular project. Um, mm. But I think that I personally count that as a pro. Like one of my big experiences, one of my favourite and most memorable experiences of teaching a class was I was doing a 1600s pike drill from, from the English Civil War. Mm. And these kids were probably, what, year eight, year nine, you know, that perfect level of, I know everything about the world. I don't need to learn anymore kind of thing. You know what we were like when we were kids. It's kind of like that level of like, this is not 
TikTok or whatever it is. This is uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not interested. I don't want to get up in front of my friends and prance around with a pike in my hand. It's it's not my yeah. not my thing. And so trying to engage these people is very very difficult. And I had this one girl. I managed to get most people going on there. This one girl, and she was just not interested at all. Oh, she was sat on her phone. She was completely disengaged. She was just sort of shooting little sort of remarks here and there, just like really disrupting the flow. And uh, and I remember she was she was like she put a hand up like and I was like here we go another silly question she's like sir why do you have a feather in your hat and I was like why don't you have a feather in your hat this is well fashionable for 1600 <laughs> Ostrich feather is in vogue it's chic mate like it's trendy as hell and she was like really I was like yeah 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 like and you've got a really important oh, yeah hat is really important the boots like all of this is like to really show up how much money I have and she was like oh mm-hmm. my god and it turns out see this kid well into fashion so yeah. I like here we go. I found what you're interested in. And because of that more free flow uh, experience and the ability to move uh, around and really sort of respond to stuff, I was able to engage her in what we were doing through. And I finally got her on board and she finally got involved with the pipe drill and she finally got it. And she really enjoyed the posturing and stuff because explaining how that really sort of is important to you, how you look and how your stature works. Like imagine if you're posing for a painting, like you've got to do this and this and that. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that was one of my most fond mom- moments, and and one of the biggest examples of pros of that kind of informal learning, um, and then formal learning. Formal learning has all its pros. They it always had. You know, you get them in a in an environment where they know they're sat down. They're meant to be uh, learning. They're going to engage in, in 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 things that you're saying to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, I prefer informal learning. I think informal learning, for me personally, is a much better way of learning. And I think if we can adopt that into sort of a wider environment and that's going to be a much much better thing yeah um, yeah because I, I when i say we've got a formal learning and informal learning department the, the formal learning department pretty much does what the informal learning department does but with a group of school kids rather than with mm-hmm. people off the streets so yeah um and that that's and that's the big plus of being able to come out i think you need to offer something that you can't do at schools and you need to offer schools something that they can't do themselves um yeah uh and you need to like yeah and it's difficult because obviously schools at the moment, their budgets are getting ruined and it's very hard to afford these trips out and stuff like that. And I do understand that. But there's a huge bonus to being able to come out and, and see this sort of stuff. Um, and and there, um, I'm not sure if we offer it anymore. I'm sure we do to a certain degree. But we also sometimes uh, would go to schools um, mm-hmm. or, or certainly offer a package of items and, and handling collection that you could actually hire out. And bring to your classroom. Um, now I'm not sure if that's still. I think that might be under development at the moment. So we're trying to rejig those boxes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and they might be coming back out. But I'm not too sure because, like I said, I'm not entirely attached to the formal learning side at the moment. So who knows? Um, but that's certainly something we used to offer. Um, yeah. And yeah, and then the handling part of it is it's super important. Like being able to give the kids the weapons, swords, the armor, get them to try it on. You know, the mm-hmm. first thing they say is they put the armor on. They're like, oh my god, how did they go and march around the, sh- the battlefield? Where how is it so heavy? Yeah, why is it so heavy? And I usually have to remind them that they obviously like half the size of the person is meant to be wearing yeah. this. But at the same time, it just it just those visceral feelings and memories uh, really give you an understanding of what you're reading. It's very easy to read about someone marching into battle, but when you feel the armor, feel the weapons understand all that sort of stuff it 
it just brings it to life in a, in a completely new way that you can't can't access necessarily through books yeah. and you can't access necessarily through sort of images and, and stuff like that so um that's that's the important part i think and i think you know with your lego uh, sort of education that's a, that's a huge part of it is that they get to literally build it pick it up interact with it make it happen um yeah. and that sticks with people it's like it's like why why people sort of take notes and, and write stuff down because it is more visceral and it they, they remember doing it that's how they kind of remember stuff they're just reading it and trying to remember it and they take notes and, and that's i think exactly what we do just on a different scale yeah. exactly right it's like the fact that you mentioned like being able to really engage that the, the girl in your in your session it's you've made it relevant to her and no way of learning is the right way of learning because it's so exactly. to each person it's that like i've worked in so many different learning situations so obviously working in the theme park completely bizarre place to try and do an educational <clears throat> session however it works because they are inside a place where they can see things like forces in action they can see models of famous landmarks they can see animals built out of lego all these are ticking curriculum boxes but through lego so it's no different to then looking at in a book however someone who's really engaged with lego would be a lot more engaged with the theme park environment than looking at a picture in a book just because yeah, exactly. that's the way their brain works but then i've worked in private schools where it's very much you sit down you listen to the teacher you read a book you write notes that's your way of learning and for them, they they find it really hard to then let go when they're in the theme park. Yeah. Be childish and to embrace that nature of I can have fun and learn at the same time. Once they start, they can't stop. And yeah. it's fine. And you really feel like you've achieved something when they are in that, what we refer to in the Lego education theory as flow. So it, you're not being too challenged that you can't do it. And it's mm -hmm. not too easy that you're disengaged. You're in that perfect medium of, it's hard, but I can do it and I'm learning and I'm having fun at the same time. So that's one of the big things that we always try and push not only children, but teachers to engage with is if you have a very experienced student with either robotics or Lego itself or for you for history, if they know everything and they're listening to all these facts that they already know, they're either A, going to be like, well, I know all this. Why am I here? B, I know all this. I'm really surprised I know all this. Most of the kids that are giving you jip or causing you issues are usually the smarter ones. Yeah. I found all the time, whenever I've got a kid that's like just messing around or disengaged or just like sat in the corner twiddling the thumbs, it's yeah. usually because they are, they, they know all this stuff and then they just yeah. they bored out their brains and it's, 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 yeah, it's crazy. So it's finding that way to engage them, either make them hold something for the class, make them tell them a fact that you particularly don't know. My favourite thing teaching uh, with teachers in Legoland is when the student teaches you something. It's an amazing it, feeling because it, it happens and people know so much information. Information is so available today. Obviously, with the internet, I feel like I'm really old talking about the internet like it's a new oh, thing. All the internet But it's about that. There's like you will have children and they will just absorb information and then be able just to spew out facts that you may not even know. So I I learned things about Lego models and animals and science and robotics because that they do it at home and mm. they've watched videos and they have Lego and they've been watching documentaries and videos and how-to videos and it's like this is amazing because it's a cycle of learning it's not just me talking at you yeah we're having a conversation and we're learning together that's what i try and always do 
regardless is incite curiosity. Mm-hmm. They start getting curious about stuff, then they're going to actively go and try and engage, find out more. And you start that process of like, yeah. you know, this 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 discovery, and and that's the that's the, what I always try and do. Like, if there's a kid like asking me questions after a show, I can be there for like half an hour, forty minutes, and one kid just going like. Yeah, but what's this? And how does that work? And what is going on there? And the parents are like, you've got to leave the man alone now. Please leave the man yeah. alone. Get on with them. I'm like, no parents. Let yeah. this kid continue let, asking. Let them talk. Yeah. He's clearly, or she's clearly, well engaged right now. And we want to try and make sure that when they leave, they continue to engage in the world like that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that curiosity and then inciting that in a child can be that kind of like big sort of eureka moment where they start to really sort of skyrocket off into what they're interested in. Yeah. Um and that's that's why I always like last one. If I walk away from a lesson and I realize that there were like two kids in there who just really weren't interested in history, and they've left kind of going like asking questions and wanting to know more and 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 stuff like that, that's when you know, yeah, I've, I've made a big difference here. And then when you can also change someone's way of thinking, like I've worked um, with homeschool families and Montessori schools are a very interesting way of learning because they let the children and they let the students guide their way of learning so they can choose what they want to do in class that day it's not the teacher telling them what to do is they have lots of stations set up and they can just go play and interact and learn things whilst they're playing and it's so different to norm what we refer to as normal school yeah um because it's always that classic teacher in front of the classroom i'm talking you're listening now home education and montessori are very similarly linked so obviously one's with family one's with other students and there is a teacher figure mm. now when they go for me the, my experiences with them they are often so much more open to new experiences because it's not anything new it's not a new way of learning for them because mm. they're so used to exploring and discovering by themselves and i almost prefer personally that way of learning because it makes it so much easier for the facilitator to teach because you don't have to break that barrier. You don't have to convince them this is what we're doing today. They're just like, okay, yeah, this is new. Brilliant. Bring it on. Let's see yeah. what I can learn today. Yeah. And it it's like that there was this one uh girl that I remember back in my when I was working at Legoland, um, we had a, a robotic system called Mindstorms. Now her brother, her older brother, had it, but was she was never allowed to touch it. She wasn't allowed to play with it. So she was immediately disengaged, didn't want anything to do with it. Once I then sat down with her and started showing her how it actually works, instantly she was like, oh, I understand why my brother likes it so much now. And then she managed to actually get it programmed. She actually performed the best in class because from the experience of being told, no, you're not allowed to do it, it was disengagement straight away because it was almost deemed like a bad thing for her to play with. Once she's given that moment of, yeah, you can then play and learn and experiment and do whatever you want with it we didn't really have set objectives for that workshop it was just here's a robot show me what you can do yeah and they can just go nuts and build whatever they want and program it and make it move and it's like she was having this robot follow a guided path which no other student i've worked with managed to ever do because they just didn't really get it but because of that engagement level that she had in that moment she was just learning every single second of that session and like for you guys obviously the armories is such a a unique environment for schools to actually visit and for families to visit because they can see history in front of them and then with you to guide them along that process 
must give you a huge amount of satisfaction like, in your job. Yeah, I always said I wouldn't want to teach. Um, and I still say that to people. Like, But on the lowdown, I quite enjoy it. <laughs> Don't you tell anyone, all right? Because uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things, I think, when you kind of look back at yourself and you remember the teachers that made a big difference to you and what were they like? How did they get you engaged? Because I was bone idle. I was, I was, I'd like to say, a bit quite smart. And so I really just didn't engage necessarily. I was quite lazy with stuff. I was always could try harder. That was always my report. Um, and it's just trying to remember what they did and how they engaged me. And uh, like uh, one of our history teachers, she was like, she said we had to go and do a report on uh, something in World War II. And, mm. and we actually went up to her and was like, could we do it in the form of like a small like Lego animation film or whatever? And she was like, do you know what? Go for it. Yeah. Do it. Go for it. And so we did. And we went back to my mate's house. And we did this whole Lego informator, like uh, animation about Pearl Harbor. Um, my favorite moment was we had, so I was trying to show the planes coming over and like bombing. Mm-hmm. So we, we ended up printing, uh, I'm diverging, I know, but you can, you can edit this out if you don't want it. But we were printing <laughs> planes, uh, silhouettes, and we basically stuck them to the ceiling, put a grainy effect on like Windows Movie Maker, got on a mm-hmm. skateboard and just like slid ourselves across the bottom. <laughs> it look like they're passing over and stuff. So we learned a lot about filmmaking. Very clever way to do it, yeah. And it was a really engaging way of doing it. And that's allowing people to engage with stuff in their way can be really, really beneficial. In fact, one of the most successful things we've ever did at the Royal Armouries for sort of families and kids was during our fantasy weekend, I think it was, or a fantasy event, we ran um, essentially... Dungeons and Dragons games for kids. Love it. So it's yeah. called Hero Quest, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The company made this game. Really, really good company. If you want to play it with your kids, I massively recommend it. Um, but basically, we had, they could sign up. It was all free. They sign up um, their name and they come and play a slot. And I would be a DM, my colleague would be a DM. And parents would sit down with their kids and they'd all join in together. And nearly everyone that played was either like, this is incredible because it's helped my kid, like, with their language skills and their storytelling skills and English skills and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, problem solving and sort of engaging with something, really thinking about something. Um, and, and then at the, at the end of the day, most of them were like, what's this? Where can I get this? Where can I buy this? Because I want to play this with my kid more. This is insane. This is really, really good. Mm-hmm. So actually like, you know, role-playing games like that um, and giving kids their agency within their learning, I think is a really big part of yeah. sort of, developing it and, and a big part of being able to learn outside the classroom because they exactly. get, come and engage and what they want to engage with and yeah and, oh, so yeah it's as you said it's that <laughs> I, I, I nick the phrase sneaky learning mm-hmm. it's the, the fact that like they're playing a game or they're building lego or they're playing i don't want to say the word playing with a sword but they are, uh, ob- <laughs> they are ob- observing a sword they are <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't want to start saying that like <laughs> but it's like they are learning about shape, color, size, weight, how things move, how things go together. And all of that just through playing with something, experimenting with something, it's just a fantastic way of learning. And, and I've said it before on the podcast and you've said it now, it's like they will just remember it and they will teach someone else what they've learned and they'll have a photo, they'll have a video. And it's just a broad learning journey. It's not just okay, yeah, that was cool, forget it tomorrow. 
If yeah. you physically handled something, handled a sword, not played with a sword, that's the term I want to use. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's great because, yes, they won't have a sword at home. However, as you mentioned, it sparked their curiosity and they will go watch videos about it or watch people make them. And then all of a sudden you're in this realm of engineering and creating and more history. And it all sparked from one session, yeah. either with yourself or with me, because I like to feel that we are... We're teachers of now. We're like we're good at. Well, I'll just say we're good at what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's such a plethora as well online of really good educators, like mm -hmm. YouTube. There's so many different channels. If you want to go and learn about swords, there are hundreds of channels of very, very well researched and, and experienced people that do that stuff. And it's yeah. kind of new age, isn't it? It's like, it's like if you want to access it, and that's why I said like encouraging curiosity is like the key to your moment with that kid if you can if they can leave that classroom and they're curious about something then you start them on their journey because they'll just go and google how's a sword made and bam there you go yeah. they've got thousands of resources thousands of things to really engage with mm -hmm. and it's just getting them to to do it it's getting them to have that agency and that that it will to sort of go out and learn by themselves and if you get that then they're never going to stop and that's really really cool so thank you dave it's been really insightful finding out about what you do obviously very different from where we both started in our sort of what you'd call a career path with theatre performing but then it's it is still keeping our essence it's keeping our performer side and our fantasy side and escapism because let's face it being a lego teacher is as a unique job it's a strange job because i'm basically teaching people to play and that's with Lego. And with your job, it's you're recreating these characters in these scenes and you are getting to act still, so still doing what you love. However, it's unique every single time you do it because I'm sure like your characters develop and their storyline changes. And for you, it keeps, it, it's still fresh. Every time you pick up a sword, you're learning a new technique. I mean, is there anything particularly that, from where you started till today not just new routines but what sort of what's been your learning journey throughout your time at the armories so the first thing that i learned and this is like the thing that blew my mind was that history it changes yeah. it, has, it hasn't <laughs> just happened it isn't like this happened crack on we know it now like mm -hmm. i remember trying to research the battle of agincourt good example i love this battle and uh, and i was like hang on a minute, this book says there was 25,000 Frenchmen. But this book says there was like 5,000 Frenchmen. And this one says there's 106. Oh, no. Oh, no, there's loads of different <laughs> And then and what happened is I remember I did all this research. And I finally got to the bottom. I chose numbers that I liked. And a new book came out probably maybe like a couple of weeks before I was going to go and present my show. And it just completely changed how I thought about the numbers, completely changed about how I thought the battle went down because it was thanks to new evidence. So that's why history is great. That was, that was my first big learning moment. It was like, I need to revisit everything I think I know because mm -hmm. I probably don't know it anymore because it changes every year. Um, so it, it, that was like a big sort of part of it. And then, uh, and then as I continue to sort of research, write, produce, uh, do all this sort of stuff, um, it's learning about what engages people. I think that was a big sort of trigger. How do you sort of get people on board to learn these sort of topics? It was learning that I love teaching people i think yeah I, people have always said this i'm always the person that sort of just will shoot a random fact at you and really enjoy it when you don't know what it is 
and they were like you'd love teaching you'd be really good at teaching it's like no 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 <laughs> teaching and now i kind of enjoy it and it's, yeah. it's, it's, and I think it's it comes from that that term of strict and it's yeah. very i'm here to tell you what to do and that that teacher's gone that's not a thing anymore no. teachers can be anyone a teacher can be a youtuber it can be someone who plays a game and then films it and teaches you how to play the game. Yeah. If you're, as you said, sparking curiosity and then helping someone learn something new, you mm. are a teacher. In whatever environment you're in, you are teaching. And so I know like when I started my podcast, it was very much about chatting with the community, getting to find out who people are, what they do as well. So the fact that you've come along I mean, I, you popped up on my Facebook. I was like, oh, it's Dave. Yeah, when you, Dave. when you added me as a friend, I was like, what does he want? Yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm, I'm just like, I'm like, we haven't spoken in years. No, I, no. I don't like social media. Like, I really don't like it. I, uh, I only use it because I use it in network. It's, it's like a necessary evil. Um, yeah. But when your name popped up, you caught me at a moment where I was like, ah, oh, I remember Jamie. I like yeah. Jamie. Oh, <laughs> Jamie, I'll be your friend. I, f I feel privileged oh, that I did, didn't, really didn't ghost me. So, yeah. I really enjoyed so, it. Yeah. And then I saw that you were, well, I think you've just got it as actor on, on your Facebook account. I was it's like, oh, but where is it? And I saw it was at the Armouries. I was like, oh, that's amazing. It links in so many different things, obviously, with learning outside the classroom, which we've spoken about, and the edutainment side, which it, mm -hmm. it fascinates me how learning can happen. And then, I mean, even in this podcast, I never really factored in that history can change. So you've just taught me something as well. Yeah, so yeah. Thank you. Much. it's it's an awful thing because it means yeah. yeah you have to review whether it's still relevant or not yeah. skeleton or a new evidence or a new picture um, and that's why i mean that's why i love history as well is because it's it's a lot of it as well is has been written with a lot of biases uh, and that's mm -hmm. that's why things change you that's why you need to reference as many different references yeah. as you can. do not read one article and think you're an expert because that is just one person's okay. opinion on what happened um, even primary sources can be right naughty, um, so you've got to be careful of those as well. Depending on whether they were French at that battle or English at that battle, they'll write completely exactly. different things. Um, yeah. And and one of the really interesting things that are happening um, at the moment is that because we're getting a far more diverse group of people getting into heritage and history, we're getting a far more diverse interpretation of the same stories, the same events, and it's really kind of exciting stuff. And like recently. Um, there was so there's a the oldest european fight manual that we know of uh it's called 133 and it's in our collection mm -hmm. and for a while uh people uh didn't really they just saw, saw images and paintings of people fighting and there was that 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 uh, but then recently but thanks to sort of people who study medieval art and that sort of stuff they kind of realized that actually a couple of students in that book were, were women and at before where was like women didn't fight in the medieval period they were just at home doing stuff um, but now it's becoming like quite evident that there might have been a little bit more involved in sort of daily affairs yeah. like that. And yeah. so it's just little discoveries like that and little things that are happening at the moment, which makes history really interesting because mm -hmm. it's always developing. And I think, again, that's what I try and tell people is that, yeah. uh, you know, because a lot of people don't, a lot of people say, like, what's the point in history? Because it's already happened. We should be thinking about the future. And I always say, like, we need to remember what we did. So yeah. one, to learn from our mistakes as exactly. well. Exactly. And two, so we can like learn that and jump on top Don't of it. Don't do it again. Build yeah. forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I love history because it teaches mm -hmm. me lessons. It gives me a sense of perspective, which not everyone gets. This pandemic, oh my God, people like lost their minds about it. 
And that's fair enough. It's, it's sad. It's upsetting. It's stressful. I'm miserable like everyone else, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. my God, it's not it's not the Spanish flu. Thank God it's not the Spanish flu. It's not, yeah. it's not, we're not getting bombed in our houses in the Blitz. It's not the Black Death. Like all these historical <laughs> events that I know and read about. Yeah. Way worse. Way worse. And do you know what? They got through it. They got through it. Not everyone, yeah. admittedly, but they got through it. And, and the, the, well, the humanity is still here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's what history does. It just gives you a sense of perspective. It can kind of chill you out. And, uh, yeah. And sort of teach you a lot about yourself and where you came from and, and where yeah. you want to be. And yeah. Cool. Exactly. So you, you obviously mentioned the pandemic. Um, I don't cover it a huge amount on the podcast just because it it, it really affected it my life. Yeah, it, it kind of, the podcast came from the, the pandemic. So that's yeah. just, it's kind of birthed it. Um, obviously, the museum's unfortunately closed for you guys at the moment. What have you been kind of working on to kind of keep yourself busy, to keep motivated with history? Is, is there anything in the pipelines that's coming up? So what I've ended up doing, and this, no, this is off my own back, this is not in association with the museum, um, is I have started working on a podcast, just like you. Oh. Um, yeah, and the podcast is called Histro Tea, because it's basically me and my friend uh, talking about history with tea. Um, it's very freeform. It's very uh, conversational, colloquial. Mm-hmm. There's a few swear words in it, so it might not be appropriate for younger children. Um, but it is, uh, it's a really sort of like accessible um, experience of just really cool stories from history. Because, you know, facts and figures are all fun and all, but there are some funny stories out there. There are some ridiculous things that have happened. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're engaging it from. It's like you're going to learn stuff, new stuff, hopefully. Um, but you are going to find out about some really crazy people. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably leaning more on the entertainment side than the education mm-hmm. side. Yeah, it's, it's something that we've been doing. And hopefully, sneaky learning, don't forget. Sneaky learning, sneaky learning. It's sneaky <laughs> learning with some, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so when, when... that will be coming out in a couple of weeks' time, um, our first one. Um, and it's going to be coming out on pretty much all the all the podcast platforms. We're going to just slap mm-hmm. it and see if anyone wants to pick it up and, and, and enjoy it. Um, So if you have an interest in history, I think our first episode is about the Battle of Agincourt, which I've mentioned a lot in this video because it's like my go-to fact point. I love that battle. Um, (laughs) I I couldn't tell. The movie on Netflix is rubbish and don't listen to anything. Uh, Nonsense. (laughs) All nonsense. It's, you know, don't get me wrong, a lot of fun, but complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so go and go and find out about history through my History Tea podcast, a casual learning experience. Well, um, and I think even if you're not a fan of podcasts, give it a go. It's only an hour or half an hour. But there's, like, there's been people on my Instagram saying, never a fan of podcasts, gave yours a listen, really enjoyed it. Because it's just a chat and it is just a couple of nerds talking about things that they like. Exactly. Or when you're like lying in bed, yeah. like, do it whenever you're chilling because... It's like a really nice or like passive engagement kind of thing or in the bath or anything like wherever you want to listen to it just just give it a go and you know we've got some really good quality mics so my voice sounds dreamy just saying i feel offended that you've not used it for this podcast i don't have the mic it's my friend's mic oh i see you are forgiven (laughs) sorry sorry jamie all i get is your iphone 6 propped up on a little book Hey, my iPhone 6 is propped up. It's an iPhone SE, actually. Yeah, gun. What an official prop thing. Oh, very uh, nice. You, my friend, have been given the premium experience of what uh, I can offer. The fact, you're, the, the fact you're wearing clothes today is just... It's the... It's about, look, I'm not going to lie. I use this as an excuse to dress up. Like, it's, <laughs> my, I'm wearing some nice jeans. I'm even wearing some Chelsea boots because I, I just need... Shoes to, in the house. 
Yes, exactly. I just need to feel like I'm doing something going out. I spend most of my life in my dressing gown and joggers at the moment. So it's just I, a way of staying sane. I think, I think the world can, can vouch for that. can sympathise with that, yeah. Dharma's a new norm, I think, at the moment. So. Oh, God, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting. Obviously, this podcast will go out in the next week or so. And so when you're listening to this, hopefully Dave's podcast will be live. So that was History Tea. You'll be able to find it on all podcast platforms. Um, if you'd like to be involved with my podcast, all you need to do is drop me an email. It's thebrickeducator at gmail.com. I am on Instagram, so you can message me on there as well. So if you work in an attraction, if you'd like to talk about something you're working on, either a new podcast, a new Instagram account, that's anything to do with it could be Lego, learning, um, uh, tutorials, instructional videos, anything at all that you'd like to talk about and just have a bit of a waffle with a bit of a Lego nerd, drop me an email, drop me a message. That was episode 11. So guys, thank you so much. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure, mate. been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. Talk to you soon. Bye.